This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, here is episode number 48 of The Wheelhouse, and we are recording this, Jerry, on an off day Monday in advance of the Cubs series, so thanks for carving out some time on an off day. I know you would normally just be uh, putting your feet up right now, right? That's exactly what I do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is our first show on Root Sports, and for those watching us on TV, first of all, welcome. We're thrilled to have you with us on the podcast. This is the 48th episode of The Wheelhouse Podcast, so we've been at this for a while at this point. Uh, For those of you who have been with us from the start, uh, online, wherever you find your podcast, we appreciate you staying with us. Remember, you can always find us wherever you get your podcasts, including mariners.com slash podcasts. I'm Aaron Goldsmith. Jerry DePoto, Colin O'Keefe is our producer extraordinaire. And Jerry, we have a lot of things to talk about on this off day. Uh, first of all, in the series against the Rangers, which turned out to be a, a four-game split with Texas, uh, Marco Gonzalez, Jerry, has proven to be the Marco Gonzalez that you made an opening day starter. He has just rolled through the first six weeks of this season. Marco's been phenomenal. He's, he's been phenomenal, truly, since he joined the Mariners. Uh, from the time he got here, you know, 2000, the 2017 season, when we called him up from AAA, maybe a little prematurely in a year that he was coming back from Tommy John surgery, really established himself as a uh, – reestablished himself as a, as a future major league rotation member. And uh, we, we plugged him in somewhat out of necessity, but mostly because it was his time. And – and uh, there, we saw some velocity. We saw flashes of his changeup. We saw what his curveball could be. He wasn't at that time using his cutter. And spring training 2018, flash forward, and Marco shows up. And where he entered in, in February, March of 2018, as opposed to where we saw him leave in, in September, October of 2017, was phenomenal. And now we are introducing the cutter, and we're seeing really razor-sharp command at a very early stage in that season. And he's just run with it from there. I I think coming up on 20 wins uh, over the last two seasons since opening day 2018, he's quietly been one of the, I think, 13 or 14 most valuable pitchers in all of baseball based on Fangraph's war over the since opening day of 18, which I think is phenomenal. And he deserves all the accolades he gets because nobody pays more attention, cares more, works harder, all the, the good things you can say about Marco. Hey, since you brought up pitcher wins, I think a lot of people would assume that since this is a more analytically bent front office, that pitcher wins would be something that uh, you and your associates pay zero attention to whatsoever. But you just referenced it. What does a pitcher win tell you? Uh, it just tells me he's in the game. He's throwing innings and he's competitive, giving you a chance to win. You know, when we're analyzing, it, we use analytics at, 
a lot. It is a, a primary driver in the decisions we make on most occasions. But when you see a win, just a, a pitcher win, what it tells you is that something positive happened in the bulk that that pitcher was able to give you. And, you know, last year's version of the Mariners, we did have a rotation full of uh, just short of five guys who qualified for, for the ERA title, which made us very unique. This year we are, I think, second in the American League in average innings per game start, which is uh, another positive. That usually uh, manifests itself in wins for the starting pitchers. Uh, it, albeit, you have to be good <laughs> to get the <laughs> right. wins. But uh, you know, I don't think the win is an irrelevant statistic. It's just a very different statistic than maybe what we looked at and as kids growing up in the 70s or 80s, where the 20-win season was the end-all, be-all. Now you see Cy Young Award winners with 11, 13, 15 wins, and, and justifiably so. There's a reason why it's happening. Right now, Marco is backing up the, the bulk that he's providing, the wins that he's been able to bank. He's backing it up with peripheral excellence. He's doing it by hammering the strike zone. We saw his last start, it, it peaked at nine strikeouts, which I think ties a, a, a personal high for him. And he's doing it by mixing and matching with all of his pitches and, and locating. And one of the things I'm really proud of with our starting pitcher group, we throw the ball over the plate and we throw two locations and that's why they're able to eat up so many innings we were able to see the debut of justice sheffield in a mariners uniform we knew this was coming you say kikuchi a short one inning abbreviated start sheffield behind him this was a pretty amped up justice sheffield we knew it would be it was not his major league debut but let's face it he had only had truly a handful of innings in the big leagues last year with the yankees his mariners debut what'd you make of it just that, really amped up. And I, th- I think the benefit Chef had with, with pitching last year in Boston, in New York, maybe getting that first edge off is it was a positive because he knew what to expect when he walked out on the major league mound. But now he comes into what I think he understands is his long-term uh, location where we are starved for these young players to, to take the ball and run with it as we as we acclimate them toward the big leagues his season started really wonky he had an awesome spring training I don't think he allowed a run in spring training or at least an earned run and it was just as good on the backfields in the the B games or the morning games as he was in the A games that you see in the stat column and went off to Tacoma really amped to start the season and you know the the command really struggled with the, with locating his pitches uh, struggled to slow his body down and we saw a little of that uh, in his first outing here in Seattle but he is over the course of his last three starts made a good deal of progress in, in slowing himself the stuff is unquestionably good. Uh, we saw it. Fastball was up to 95. He's sitting 92, 93. He's got an outstanding spin on his slider. He throws a good fade sink to his changeup. We just need him to slow down and attack the strike zone, which is what he was doing in the spring. Uh, and some combination of that aggressive, competitive mentality plus the strike throwing, particularly strike one that he was was doing in, in February and March. We'll, we combine those two, and sometime this summer we anticipate that he will just take the ball and run with it as a every fifth-day starter for us. What's it been like for you so far this season? We are just over a month into things with the early start to the season in 2019. And for the most part, the Mariners have been a first-place ball club, and you're already beginning to see some of these young pitching prospects. Of course, Swanson has made a spot in the rotation. We've seen Sheffield now. I mean, this is kind of you're getting the best of both worlds a month into the year. 
I, I wish I could have told you that we thought that through the first 30 games or so of the year that we were going to be a first place team. We didn't really believe going into the season that that was our lot in life. But this team's done it, and we've done it in very creative ways. <laughs> you know, we, we bomb at, at 25 games into the season. We set an all-time record for most most team homers in, in a team's first 25 games. We're also on an incredibly, uh, I, I guess, a rush toward the record books in, in how frequently we're not catching the ball. <laughs> we are. So uh, it, the, the offense is required. It, it, I guess the application for work was very clear. If, if we're going to not catch it, we do have to crush it. But, you know, we have done it in very creative ways. But we're seeing so much progress made by a lot of the players that we want to be a part of the foundation of what we're doing. And, you know, the, the contributions made by Daniel Vogelbach, by Domingo Santana, by what Tim Beckham's done with the bat, the resurgence of D. Gordon, which we're all really encouraged by, what our catchers are doing. You know, Omar Narvaez and Tom Murphy have been spectacular. And then the, the subtle contributions made by our pitching staff, which we talked about Marco, and even the rebound of Felix Hernandez, who, you know, Felix is not the, the young prospect who's who's trending north but what he has been able to do over the first month of the season I, I think has been awesome it's it's so much different than anything we've seen him do over the last three plus seasons and and that's encouraging to me so fun is the the way to, to best describe this first month since you bring up the defense obviously it's been a struggle as you mentioned to catch the ball in, in particular that's not a question of early work we see those guys out there every day uh, Perry Hill Whatever he's making, he's being underpaid with the hours that he's putting in. I agree. (laughs) Hopefully he's not listening to this show. (laughs) Mariner's new infield coach. Uh, What has been the overall approach to trying to right the ship on the defensive side? You know, we we talked about it in spring training when Kyle Seager went down. And it's it's amazing what happens when you have to start playing musical chairs because of an injury or a player who's who's displaced. You make a move. And and all of a sudden we have numerous players playing out of position. And you know, I, I think what we've experienced and I'm watching what Perry does, and, and Perry has been phenomenal in in how quickly he's been able to to establish a relationship and find ways to improve, particularly with our third base play. Because in the first 10 days of the season, that was a real issue, was what was happening at third base. But I have to say that Ryan Healy has done a remarkable job of reconnecting at third base and and making himself playable defensively and doing really good things with the bat on most days. So, you know, that has normalized or stabilized a little bit. Where we've had some difficulty is obviously at shortstop. We have we have not converted plays at the the rate we would like to see, and that that is what it is. I mean, Beck is a professional. He understands his own game. He's done awesome things with the bat, and he's brought energy to our club. We just have to be more consistent catching the ball. And and similarly in left field, you know, at the the number of times we've not converted fly balls between left and center field in the early season is concerning. You know, we, we have to do a better job of that. But these guys are working their tails off every day. I mean, you see them. They're out there. It's pregame. Whether it's Perry Hill or it's Chris Prieto, we are really working hard in, in trying to improve. And every one of our players is putting in a, a lot of effort. 
hopefully the results start to show. But it's the simple things. It's not the difficult play that's tough to convert. We're actually pretty good at that. We will make the spectacular play, and, and you think, where'd that come from? And, uh, and then it's, the, it's the, the basic. It's the fundamental play that we're not converting as often as we should. And it's guys putting pressure on themselves because they know that the errors are starting to pile up, that it is effectively a poor reflection on, on their performance. But that you can't put your, the pressure on yourself like that in this game. If you start to press, it just gets harder. You have to find a way to play loose and play easy, and, and hopefully they're doing that. This lineup has been pretty remarkable over the course of the first six weeks of the season, Jerry. Scott has used almost as many lineups as games played so far this season. It's like his dreamscape. (laughs) (laughs) The creativity has been off the charts. When we first started talking about this lineup in the early part of the season, the narrative was, wow, they're not chasing at all. They are taking pitches. They're taking borderline pitches. They're taking ball four. The strikeouts come as a result of that, but they're doing damage. And Jerry, I guess part of me keeps expecting that to fade. Like It can't stay on that pace. And week after week after week, it has held steady, which is that a surprise to you? It isn't. I, I think, you know, the, it, the number of runs we have scored and the number of home runs we have hit is a surprise. Uh, you know, we are, we're scoring at really at a franchise record-setting pace, and, and that's fun. <laughs> I think the, the way we're doing it was expected. The, the hitting programs, we've talked about it before. It, the, the hitting programs, Tim Laker, Dustin Lynn, Jarrett DeHart, Hugh Quattlebaum, what we're doing organizationally, the stress of controlling the strike zone, how important it is, imperative to our future that we do control what's happening over home plate, has been our focus really since dating back to 2015. And why this is not so surprising that this group is able to to maintain it is that we went out and we targeted players who naturally do this well guys like domingo santana omar narvaez this is what they do i know we're not seeing it right now with malik smith but this is what malik does mitch hanniger has this in his in his bag of tricks daniel vogelbach this is i mean it should be the first page in in vogie's book whatever book that is his, his biography he controls the strike zone and we don't chase and and I think that's sustainable for us and and I hope that as we continue to grow we see more players kind of added to this this mix that that's what they do because it's it's part of their it's part of the appeal and what the, the foundation of this team can do moving forward it was really striking looking at the batting average of balls and plays for all 30 teams so far this year. And the Mariners are right at about league average in that category. Now, granted, a home run ball doesn't count towards that. And the Mariners, of course, have had more home runs than anybody. But when you look at the overall run production for the Mariners, it'd be easy to assume, oh, well, their BABIP must be in the top five. And the fact that it was almost encouraging that it wasn't, that it was more towards the median, that that this really is possibly sustainable because of the what you're talking about, the overall approach. I think so. We have a couple of extreme players. We have extreme in that D. Gordon and Malik Smith are typically very high BABIP guys, and and that there's a reason for it. They're, they're top of the scales runners. Usually hitters who put the ball in play a lot limit their strikeouts and and run the way they do hit for a high BABIP and they've shown through the course of their career that that's sustainable for them 
They, they did it in the minor leagues. They've done it in their major league careers. They're high Babbitt hitters. You know, we also have the other end of the extreme, which is that we are likely to run a below-average Babbitt with guys like Edwin Encarnacion and Jay Bruce. Like Jay right now has really been a, a case study, and it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's been amazing, hasn't it? He hits the ball over the wall. He takes his walks, and, and his Babbitt right now is, is unsustainably low. That will, will – normalize over the course of the season because Jay's contact has been hard and his swing decisions have been good. So eventually the strikeouts will will normalize to a degree and so will the BABIP. And a lot of the balls that Jay's put in play, some that he's really hit hard, it, it will start to even out. It's it's what we've seen in past years with Kyle Seeger. And you know, Kyle makes good swing decisions. He hits the ball hard. Eventually that BABIP will even out. It'll normalize. And in a very rare instance like in 2018, it just winds up and, and that's more a psychological issue than it, than it is the, the, the numbers or the, the analysis being off. If you, if you just allow yourself to relax and breathe, it'll all work out. And the same is going to be true for these guys this year. You know, Malik's will ultimately start hitting for a higher BABIP, and Jay will ultimately start hitting for a higher BABIP. They're just two you know, polar opposites and why that's going to happen. Let's take a look on the pitching side, kind of the first six weeks or so in review. Uh, Paul Davis, your new pitching coach, has had a lot of names to learn. At a last look, only the Orioles have used more pitchers so far in this season than the Mariners. Uh, we've seen the bullpen kind of – well, we've seen – is it six guys have a save? Five or six, six. guys? Six. Six, okay, with the save so far in this season. So, since we're going to get there eventually, do you know that the, what the record is for – Oh, no. This is fantastic. Is this a stump AG? It, it could be. The record for number of pitchers uh, on a team to contribute at least one save. I'm just going to take a stab at it. I'm going to say the record is 11. 12. You were oh. almost right there. So we're halfway home. We're not even in May 1st, really. But the the idea, um, what we're doing with our bullpen is just giving guys an opportunity. So as we as we get to uh, I guess midseason and we start seeing some of these guys really take hold of positions, having them pitch in these leverage situations is invaluable. It's been awesome to see the progress made by Brandon Brennan, by Connor Sadzik. Really, the contributions made from the point we reacquired him last year until today with Rowanis Elias, who's been fantastic. They're, they're all contributing. Everybody's chipping in their saves. And, and like the win, I'm not sure that the save, you know, I, I liked them when I, when I was playing. <laughs> they were cool. But the at the end of the day, I'm not sure that that is the end-all, be-all in any kind of statistic or achievement. But the fact that so many of them are able to contribute really makes it a team event, like the rest of our, our season to date. It's, it's very team-oriented oriented approach both the offense and what we're doing on the pitching staff do you remember the year and the team that had a dozen different uh, it was it was in the 1960s and I want to say it was a, a Phillies entry it wasn't it wasn't a great team uh, but it was a maybe a 1960s some odd Phillies team it was 12 guys that contributed to save and no one had an absurdly high number it was a bunch of sixes and eights and and you know maybe a team high of 11 or so but a big number of 12. Hey, Corey Guerin went through some really serious struggles uh, earlier this year, and now he seems just to be pumping strikes in more times than not. What's been the key for his turnaround? He's a pro, and, and I mean, Corey, it, he's, he's, he's a pro. He works slowly, <laughs> I will say that, uh, and we knew that coming in. Corey uses the, the pace of his pitching as a form of deception. He's intentionally trying to frustrate the hitter, and I, I think it works. <laughs> 
But the the idea with Corey is he's been in this league for now a number of years. I think he's got five-plus years of major league service. He's pitched very well. He's one year removed from an excellent season with the San Francisco Giants. Last year, playing for multiple teams, getting bumped around at the trade deadline, he had what I would call reference as a very Corey Gearnish type of year. And uh, he's he's never going to be the, the guy who comes in and it's laser command. He uses pitch action and deception as his friends. And you know what we saw, like a three-game stretch in, in early April with his inability to get into the strike zone consistently is just not consistent with who he is. Uh, he got back to being Corey Guerin, and I, I think that is a testament to the experience he has in the game, to his confidence in himself. And I don't – what you're seeing now with Corey is kind of who he is. You know, he comes in, he attacks. It's mostly fastball slider. He's incorporating his changeup more to, to both the lefties and the righties. It's a really good pitch. But he stays calm, and he doesn't, he doesn't allow it to get to him. And he's going to have some bumps in the road like any other pitcher. But the reason we went and got him because we felt like he provided stability in the middle innings of our bullpen. And I think now he's doing that. We talked a lot in spring training about the personality of this ball club and some new faces that were brought in and kind of the life that they can inject into a clubhouse and onto the field. How have you seen that manifest so far this season? I think we're seeing it. It's, it is a very energetic ball club. If I had a, a trendy reference, it would be they're chill. You know, they, they just they, – they're not, they never get too high. They never get too low. They celebrate when it's time to celebrate, and they don't wallow in the mire when, when it's not going well, which is the easiest way to get across the 162-game season is, is allowing yourself to be short-memoried. But you know, I, I think in recent years, one of the things that, that I've noticed with this, the, the generation of player who's playing today, is you have to remind them sometimes to, to be celebratory in the moment. And, uh, you know, I think the, the second game of the Rangers series is a great example. You know, it wasn't the sexiest way to win a game. <laughs> the, the, the walk-off fielder's choice is probably not the one that they're going to be showing on, on, on highlight reels for years to come. But you have to remind yourself to celebrate the wins because it's it's fun. It's fun to win. It's fun to be in that moment with your team. And I love the fact that our guys got there and we're, we're jumping around. It's a, That's fun because you're going to go through a two, a four, a two-week you know, rut where it's not as easy and you have to remember how to celebrate those big moments, the fun stuff. Well, it's timely because the next two games did not go so well for the Mariners. The run differential took a hit in the final two games against Texas. You know, to have that happen in one game, I imagine as a player, is a fairly easy thing to flush, go home, and it's all gone in your mind by the time you wake up the next morning. To have it happen two games in a row is almost unheard of, uh, that much of a lopsided loss. Uh, But today, the off day probably could not have come at a better time. It it was perfectly placed <laughs> we, we really taxed our pitching you know and and it began you could almost you could almost predict that we were going to have to battle through that weekend uh when we went the one inning start with Yusei Kikuchi there's we've talked a lot about our reasoning for why we want to do this with Yusei I think it was the right thing to do for for whatever it's worth I thought when he pitched on on Friday night and the the one inning stuff that we saw from Yusei was phenomenal and it, we, we saw him click on his delivery. It was all the pitches. It was, it was really top-of-the-line stuff. And, I, and I've mentioned before, I think his physical stuff has, has increased. It's, it's improved with each of the outings. And Friday was the best we've seen him. It was awesome. Uh, 
that being said, it was as predictable as anything when, you know, Justice followed him to the mound and really had to battle his pitch count. You know, we talked about him being amped. He battled his pitch count. And then virtually every pitcher that came thereafter battled their pitch count. So we're, we were ha- – and Texas has a really good offensive team. They, they have a lineup that can grind you. And I think they're second or third in the league in walks uh, trailing us. But the – uh, the idea that they can grind and we had some pitchers struggling with their pitch counts was real. And when that it, that game walk, worked into extra innings and then we came back the next day and, and Mike was unable to, to go out there and just establish himself and do his thing for six or seven innings, he had to battle his pitch count. And, and a lot of base runners and then everything thereafter really started to unravel in terms of battling that pitch count and then Eric yesterday or, or Sunday wound up being the the guy who was we needed for us to deliver innings and not shockingly he teetered as well it, it really it, it was about as predictable as anything you could see but Swanee has been awesome his previous two starts Mike has roughly done Mike League things for all of his years in the big leagues and we just ran into like the planets lining up with when we could least afford to have sh- starters go short or not do the things that they typically do that's when it happens so it's a, kind of Murphy's law and that the off day is perfect. Hopefully we come out on Tuesday and, and Felix rates the ship and we're good to roll. Well, we are going to try to do more in terms of incorporating the farm in each and every podcast uh, going forward. And with that in mind, be sure to visit uh, from the corner of Edgar and Dave at mariners.com slash blog for a review of the top prospect performances each and every week. So let's, let's talk about a uh, former first round draft pick. Uh, how about Logan Gilbert? Four starts, a one eight three earned an average. Five walks and 30 tickets punched. What's been going on in the good way with Logan Gilbert, Jerry? Logan Gilbert has really I, – I could talk about a lot of guys in our system, particularly uh, – you know, with the Mariners, this is a, a, a new frontier for us, but the Mariners minor leaguers currently lead all minor league uh, pitchers in strikeouts. Uh, our aggregate strikeout total for our four clubs is, is leads major league minor league baseball. Uh, Logan Gilbert's right there at the top of the food chain. Uh, like we talked about with our major league starters, we generally throw the ball over the plate. Uh, Logan is one of those guys. He hammers the strike zone. He is what I would call a modern pitcher in that he pitches vertically very, very well. Yeah, he, he's got the ability at uh, Logan's six six or, or thereabouts. He can leverage the ball downhill. He can also let it ride above the barrel. He's got a, two outstanding breaking balls, a curveball and a slider. He's got a developing changeup, and it's real velocity. It, it gets into the mid-upper 90s. He sits around 93, 94 most outings, and he can run it by a barrel. There's a reason why we took him with our first-round draft pick last year. Going into last year's the the draft last year, we actually thought that the best pitcher in the draft was Logan Gilbert, and that dated back to the summer of 2017 in the Cape. And we thought the best bat was Jared Kelnick, and you know now they're both playing together. So we're we're thrilled with the progress that Logan's making, and really our pitching across the board. I, I could go on for for really another entire podcast just talking about our minor league pitching and how we're how excited we are for it. And not to ruin the perfect segue, my apologies, Aaron, but Logan, just watching his scouting video, he is a pitcher's pitcher. I mean, he's standing up there, big build, uh, overhand delivery, just throws it hard, has all the pitch mix. And, yeah, to your point, 
he pitches vertically extremely well with balls just all coming out of the same tunnel. And whether it's, uh, well, this is a riding high fastball or nope, it's the breaking ball falling off the table. And the maestro, as a scout, you're the coming out of the same tunnel, that's what Logan does. And that's what our pitching group, it's it's Paul Davis, it's Brian DeLunas, it's, it's Max Wiener, it's our minor league guys, really focus on pitch development and pitch tunneling. And Logan does it about as well as anybody we have. And he's just starting his professional career. But the, the idea about tunneling your pitches, where, where your fastball is released from, from a similar height, the curveball is coming off of the same plane, the slider, everything is shaped so that it looks the same for a certain amount of the distance that it travels to home plate. And Logan naturally does it well. He also happens to be one of our most analytical pitchers. You know, Logan is a very sharp guy, very smart. He is into the technologies. He is into all the information that he can digest. And I would venture to say that if he takes as great a care in, in studying the major league hitter as he does studying who he's facing in the Sally League, we're all <laughs> we're in great shape. Yeah. Hey, we're going to talk about Jared Kelnick, but since you just referenced a moment ago that you had Gilbert and Kelnick as your top pitcher and hitter in the same draft, and now they're both with the Mariners, I mean, I have to sign me like, up. Yeah. This is like unprecedented stuff. I mean, this doesn't this doesn't just happen. Yeah, and it's and and it's not it's not word salad. We really did believe that these two guys were going. We we thought going into the draft that Logan was going to be one one. You know, the first pick in the draft coming off of the Cape, he was dominant. He was operating in the mid nineties, touching the upper nineties. Absolutely laid waste to that level of play. And as a rule, when you succeed, when you dominate on the Cape the way that Logan did, those are the guys. You know, the the the, the best hitters in the Cape generally become the the better prospects for the draft, or even the better prospects that are making their way to the big leagues quickly. And you know, and Logan was awesome uh, on Cape Cod the the summer of 2017. And going into the draft season, we were surprised when he started falling back to us. You know, his velocity started to teeter a little bit. He had a couple of days where he was ill, and and the velo ticked back. And and then we saw him before the draft really ramp it back up again. And and we never wavered because what you saw in the summer of seventeen was a top of the rotation type talent. Similarly with with Jared Kelenic, you know, Jared was a little tougher to see because as a as a cold weather kid, he comes from Wisconsin. You know, the baseball schedule is a little bit more limited. But whether it be the the amateur invitationals, it was Team USA. We had so much time with Jared. And the it was he was more of a polished college hitter than a than a, a high school hitter with upside, and combine the two of them, and and now you have what what is the last three weeks for Jared Kalanick have been incredible, and we think he's very capable of being that that kind of player as he moves forward. We think what he's doing right now is very sustainable for him. So Kalanick, at the time of this recording on Monday's off day, has a 14 game hitting streak. He's just coming off of his first career multi-homer game. He's got three homers in his last two games. Has it just been a matter of bad luck to start the season, hard outs, and now those are falling in for base hits? Is there a tangible difference, or is it just the season playing out? Yeah, I, I hate to, to use this as a – he was awesome in spring training. We talked about it. I think he hit 10 home runs in spring training in a minor league spring training camp, which is – I've never heard of a number like that. It's insane. I've seen it in a big league camp, but that's a, that, that is record-setting pace really and nobody can stay that hot for that long it uh, is is my general take on it and he started off the season slowly 
But in a, in a couple of, of, I guess, thoughts is that he started off the season slowly. He was drawing – he was going deep into counts, and he was racking up strikeouts at the time – a lot of strikeouts looking. And frankly, I, I think his strike zone judgment may be better than the umpires in the league in which he's playing. He's just, it, we're looking at the, the, the pitches that he's taking. He's, he's taking the balls and, and, uh, and he's swinging at the strikes. And he got into a little bit of a rut and he wasn't. He faced an abnormally high number of left handed pitchers in the first two weeks and just got off to a slow start. We never doubted for a moment that he would find his traction and, and start moving in a, in a positive direction, and he has. It's, it's taken off very well for him. He manages the strike zone. He's, he truly has all five of the tools. He can run. He can throw. He plays defense. Uh, we do think he can stay in center field, and frankly, we didn't know that when we, when we acquired him from the Mets. You know, Coming out of the draft, didn't know if center field was going to be his long-term position, but believed that the bat would carry at wherever – uh, he ended up but uh, we do believe that center field is a real uh, possibility for him if not probability and his he never panicked he controlled the strike zone he he waited for for the contact to start getting a little louder as the weather is getting a little bit warmer I suspect it's it's going to be even more notable but he's been outstanding I know you're always thinking ahead it must be a little challenging when you project a promotion at some point for Jared to the next level with the depth that you have throughout the entire minor league system in the outfield, right? I mean, how do you go about balancing that? You, you have to be cautious, I, I guess, is that we do have a, a young outfield, a, a young controllable outfield in the big leagues. As a result, each level that, that we move down the food chain, you know, they have players at those levels, whether it's it's Braden Bishop. And, and right now even we're running Shed Long out in the outfield on, on occasion in Tacoma. It is, as we get to double-A, we think the entire double-A outfield has a chance to be an everyday player in the big leagues with Kyle Lewis and, and DTW and Jake Fraley. Uh, you get to the Cal League. I don't know how you get off to a better start in, in the Cal League right now than Louis Liberato has been off to. Uh, Jared Kelnick and what he's doing in the Sally League, it, it's phenomenal. And, and really what, what Julio was doing before he went on the DL with a, with a broken bone in his hand. There, that, that is the deepest part of our system is, is outfield players. We don't want to necessarily push players so fast that they're running into a ceiling and they can't get out of their league. Uh, right now, what Jared's doing in the Sally League is phenomenal. Uh, there will come a time where we have serious discussion on, on when to promote him to the Cal League. Uh, but once we get him to the Cal League, now where do you go? Because the three guys playing in front of him need to play regularly. So, you know, we want to make sure that we're, we're managing it properly. But I, as we watch what's happening, we've always said that the prospect tells you when it's his time to move. And we do have to listen to what he's telling us right now. You know, whether he's 19 years old or not, it, we, have to be, we have to be conscious of, of how well he's performing and how good we think he can be. And there are others in our system who are doing things that are equal, uh, equally as impressive that we do have to uh, – we're probably going to see more early season movement uh, up the food chain in our system than we've seen in a number of years because of the way they're all performing. I have a very straightforward stump, J.D., for you this week. I can't wait. And Thank I, feel you. Like, oh. I feel like I owe you after – I mean, destroying you. <laughs> I don't – I want to keep – I want you to keep coming back to the wheelhouse Jerry I don't want I don't want to show me and Colin are sitting down where's Jerry oh he's in the corner I have filed a complaint with the maestro about the the, the quality of the questions is it's 
they're overwhelmingly difficult. You know? it's, there's late break. Um, yeah. There's a lot of movement. There is. There is. I, I feel like I'm trying to hit Kevin Brown fastball. You know. Aaron Goldsmith wiffle ball in the Thank backyard. You. Yeah, there's a lot of immaculate innings being spun here. Uh, well, today is this is a pure Riz meatball, is what this is. Okay, this is easy coming right down the heart of the plate at a solid uh, Dylan Morris 67 miles an hour. <laughs> the Cubs. Now, this is inspired by the Cubs coming to Seattle for the first time in six years. They'll be here for two games. The Cubs, you know, they're an old franchise, Jerry. They've been around since 1876. Um, but they've gone through a number of name changes. In fact, the Cubs is the fourth name that they have had. Can you tell me, Jerry, the original name of the Chicago Cubs in 1876? The Chicago Nationals? You got the Chicago part right. Not the Chicago Nationals. No. I, they, they became the Cubs, by the way, in 1903. Embarrassingly, I'm not going to be a yes on this one. Jerry, from 1876 to 1889, they were the Chicago White Stockings. Wow. I, had, I, I wasn't going there with you. Now, I feel like the, you're giving me a layup, and I didn't I take know, advantage of it. I know. See, isn't it, isn't it worse, as a former big league pitcher, isn't it worse when you're facing a guy who's terrible, who you know you should get out? Because as opposed to when you're facing, like, Barry Bonds right. or Sammy Sosa. And you expect them to torture And you're like, well, I've got the, the best possible situation here is a single, right? Whereas now you were supposed to crush that out of the ballpark. And, and I fell short. I was, For the record, I, I have always been of the belief that every single player that plays in the big leagues is among the best players in the world. and Because I think they are. And every single player who plays professionally is in the top – Five percent sure. of the of the people who do what they do in the world. Having said that, there's a I, I will say that when you when you are standing out there on the mound and you're maybe facing the eighth or ninth guy in the double A lineup and and you give up the the double in the gap, you literally want to just go start banging your head off the wall because now you know you're going into the gauntlet. And and what it, how it how it manifests itself in the big leagues is you get out there and you are facing the Sammy Sosas or the Barry Bonds. And I will say that I've shut out all Chicago trivia knowledge because I try to forget about any time I've spent at Wrigley Field. <laughs> not my, it was oh, like so my was personal not, house this, of hearts. This was not a gimme. They were also the Colts and then in 1898 to 1902, Chicago Orphans for a Which short period I've of time. I've got to look up what's going on with the Orphans. Can I we, have no idea. Can we possibly get a logo on the, the Orphans? Is that a, a thing? crying child with a blankie. Uh, let's see. The I did not see a logo. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sure we'll, we'll work on it. The second image result for Chicago Orphans, though, does have a live cub bear on the field. I'm not sure what's going on there. Perhaps it was an orphan bear. Thus, Cubs. There you go. There it is. <laughs> One step after the other. The maestro. Could be. Nobody puts two and two together like him. Uh, okay, well, I'm very sorry, Jerry. I thought you are, and I mean this very sincerely, of course, as everything I say. Uh, you're, I mean, you're a great <laughs> baseball historian. I mean, you really uh, are. I, I would say... Great baseball historians will embarrass you. They're well, okay. Yes, it's like the guy who's killing Jeopardy right now. There are people in this world that will... All right, maybe you're not fit for the Smithsonian, but you know a lot. Okay, so I thought the White Stockings maybe had a chance. Uh, but the Chicago Cubs began in 1903. White Stockings, Colts, and Orphans had a good run. The All explainer right. on that quickly. Yeah, what do you Cap have? Anson was the leader of the Cubs for a number of years. When he departed, it was so devastating that writers started to refer to them as kind of the remnants or the orphans. So the people who were left afterwards. And 
orphan stuck for so maybe four it had years. a different meaning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> By the way, speaking of Dylan Moore, did you know that he had pitched one game of the minors? I did not. So I had no idea, right? But and I'm I'm perfectly fine if we never see him pitch <laughs> another game in the majors because that's a really tough thing to do to position players. It, I, I every pitch that he's throwing, I'm thinking, please hit it at somebody because it it is it's harmful to be out there in, in that moment because you don't want anybody to get hurt and you don't want anybody to lose their confidence sure. in the things that they do well. Dylan does a lot of things well. We don't expect him to pitch. That was, <laughs> I mean, honestly. How about Omar Narvaez at second base, though? I thought he was almost going to make a turn out there, too. That's pretty he good. He wanted to, I'm sure. When, when we broke into the, the triangle overshift defense and you could see from, from overhead, it was terrifying. When you looked at the personnel on the field, you're like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> we could put them all over there. I'm not sure we're going to cover it. Well, Dylan, the box score of Dylan's minor league pitching performance is one of the greatest box scores I've ever seen. It was in low A. It was Hickory versus Rome. He pitched in a tied 19th inning, gave up seven runs, all unearned. Wow. Which is terrific. This... And Rome, I've never seen this in a box score either. Rome in that game, now granted it was a 19 inning game, they went seven for 36 with runners in scoring <laughs> position. I mean, 36 that's, like a, that's a three-city road trip right there. That's unbelievable. <laughs> so I had some fun with that. All right, we'll move on to some listener questions, Jerry if your confidence is still with us. Uh, remember, you can always send us a question. Uh, Colin will be happy to field it. The Wheelhouse at Mariners.com. David in Texas chimes in. Always nice to hear from listeners uh, from around the country. David wants to know, uh, Jerry, he enjoyed the team's themed costumes on getaway day to play the Rangers last season. Uh, particularly, he enjoyed Stone Cold Ichiro. Over your years in baseball, do you have any favorite stories of road trip shenanigans? Road trip shenanigans. For years, the the rookie dress up has has been a thing, and you know, in recent collective bargaining agreements, there is a we we now have like a no hazing uh, qualifier. But I think the rookies actually like the dress up. So even the players who, who let let's say. Baseball is mild uh, in, in regard to how rookie players are have been hazed through the years, but one of the standards is always just a, a dress up, and uh, and I think there's been so much they, the young players have so much fun with it that none of them really consider that to be hazing. It's just it's fun. And uh, 2016, which was our first year here with the Mariners, we were in Houston, and uh, and I'm sitting in the coach's room and. Daniel Vogelbach, recently acquired from the Chicago Cubs and recently called up to make his major league debut with the Mariners, came walking into the coach's room, beaming from, really beaming, smile from ear to ear, dressed as Chris Farley of Chippendale fame. If you remember the Saturday Night Live skit with Patrick Swayze and Chris Farley, uh, and, and he, so... Vogie came walking in with the, with the pleather pants and the and the, the black bow tie and I mean spot on Chris Farley big you know, gaping grin and and I, it was maybe one of the best ensembles I've ever seen on a on a dress up day for the rookies I, I was belly laughing every time I saw him I couldn't stop laughing uh, another one I was in Colorado as a player we had a, a relief pitcher by the name of Mike Dijon. And on, on rookie dress-up day, Mike wore a diaper, a, a, a giant diaper with a big oversized baby pin, carried a rattle that was, I would say, two feet tall. I mean, it was a big rattle and had a bonnet, kind of like, you know, 
the babyface Finster of Bugs Bunny fame, and traveled the whole just that diaper, pin, rattle, bonnet from Denver to Houston uh, at the time, and it was I, I thought phenomenal. Maybe one of the most uh, the most embarrassing ensembles I've seen, and another one in the road trip shenanigan category. The the first base coach for the Baltimore Orioles for most of the last half dozen years is a guy by the name of Wayne Kirby. And uh, Kirby and I played together in Cleveland. We were rookies together in 1993. And Kirby was the guy who probably took more, uh, I guess, guff or abuse from his teammates for for years you know usually you went through your rookie dress-up day and then they left you alone forevermore and in this particular instance curb probably went his first three or four years in the big leagues and every time there was a rookie dress-up they would get kirby and and uh finally we're doing that there was a there's a gag called a three-man lift are you familiar with the three-man i don't think i am the three-man lift is a Two, two veteran players will flank a, a young player who's in the big leagues for the first time. The, the intent is that a fourth player will come in and can hold the belt of the middle player. They, they all hook arms. They grab the, the belt of the middle player, and the, the, the lifter will be able to lift all three players off the ground just by grabbing the belt of the guy in the middle. This is presented as a challenge. And it, the, the, the young player always bites. No way you can do that. You know, physically impossible to do. Well, let me show you. So the, the, the two vets will link arms with the young guy, get him in the middle, and, and, and then what happens is the veteran who starts to lift counts to three, and as soon as he gets to three, he jumps back. The two guys on the ends roll out of the way, and everybody just starts throwing whatever they can find, you know, baby powder, you know, water, some food from in the, the dining room on the, on the, the young guy on the, on the floor, and everybody gets a big howl out of it. And it usually goes it, – it's fun even for the receiver because they feel like they're, they're part of it, you know, Vaseline. It's, and uh, we did this in, at Yankee Stadium – in 1993, it was actually chronicled by baseball, This Week in Baseball with Mel Allen at the time. And, uh, and we had, uh, I think it was Mel Allen, we, we, we had Wayne Kirby insisting, I am going to be part of the three-man lift. I'm take, I'm, I finally get to be part of, of, of the, being on the veteran side instead of the, with the young guys. And uh, so we did that, and, and Curb got in there with Manny Ramirez, a, a very young Manny Ramirez, and a very young Julian Tavares in the middle. And Curb and and Kenny Lofton were flanked on the outside. And Sally Alomar was our lifter, and there's a four-man lift. And there's no way this can happen. Well, what Kirby was unaware of is what they, they actually told the two young guys, here's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> and when it came time to douse the young guys, they rolled to the side with Kenny and left Kirby in the middle of the floor, <laughs> and everybody got Kirby. And, it, and uh, you know, it, it, was, it was so much fun through the years playing around with your teammates. And it's sophomoric. It's, it, they're grown men doing kids' things. But when you're playing a 162-game grind, it is so fun to go through that, you know. That is terrific. Uh, hey, KBev on Twitter would love a fun trade story. Which one didn't happen or almost didn't happen? Which player is the most delighted to come to Seattle? Anything fun regarding a trade? Uh, fun regarding a trade? I mean, to me, it wasn't that fun. But uh, last this past off season. I think I know where you're going. Yeah, this, this past off season, I was in the hospital 
with, uh, with blood clots in my lungs and didn't know at the time that that's why I was going in the hospital. We were in the middle of the winter meetings and we had started conversation with the Cleveland Indians and Tampa Rays regarding the potential for a three-way deal that we ultimately did, uh, I guess, put a stamp on uh, while I was in the hospital. And, you know, Justin Hollander and Scott Service were actually the ones that were kind of running point and seeing this through. And let's say on a, on a football field scale, we, we had gotten the, the deal into the red zone before I went to the hospital. And then I went to the hospital, and let's just say I was incoherent and a bit out of it. And Justin and, and Scott executed the trade. It was a fairly complicated deal where two teams, a lot of many millions of dollars were changing hands. And, and I had no recollection of much of it after we, we left Vegas. Uh, for for the wrong reasons. Usually when you're leaving Vegas, you don't recall something for different reasons than, than maybe being in the hospital. But uh, we got back to Seattle, and just this past week, I received invoices in my, my inbox for multiple millions of dollars of payments that will need to, to change hands between three teams over the next 18 months. And I walked into Justin Hollander's office, and I said, hey, buddy. Can you help me out on this? Because I have no recollection of how we timed this up or, or what money was, was scheduled to be paid where. And, you know, he got a big laugh out of it. And then we had to sit and go through spreadsheets to determine, you know, what the payment dates were. And just so I was in the loop on, on exactly how it happened because I was a bit loopy when it actually did. So is Justin still fully employed? Did everything? He didn't just shrug his shoulders? He did a great job. He's a, <laughs> he, did, he did a great job. It would have been classic if he would have said, I, I don't know. It's up to you now. Now, that is great. And I'm glad you're doing much better. Uh, that is a trade story unlike one we hopefully will ever hear. Yeah, about. I hope there's never a second. <laughs> well, uh, as again, we are recording this before the Cubs series. Cubs come to town Tuesday, 7-10 the first pitch, then a Wednesday midweek matinee, 3-40 the start time. Really good pitching matchups for both those games. Awesome matchups. We'll be seeing uh, Felix and Marco, uh, Lester and Hamels, in the reverse order of what I just said, uh, for those two games. So a couple of really good veteran lefties and uh, Lester coming back home, the Tacoma native. When uh, the Mariners then will hit the road, a long road trip, Cleveland, New York, Boston. Mariners coming back home. Mariners value games against the A's, May 13th and 14th. Then a four-game series against the Twins, who just did about 100 home runs against the Orioles. Uh, Kenny Griffey Jr., rookie year, bobblehead night on Saturday. So a lot coming up when the Mariners come back home. Jerry, thanks for spending an off day with us. Glad to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.